Welcome back to the Her Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Mel, and this is episode number 16. I had a little two-week hiatus. My mum got married and the plan was to have a couple of episodes banked so that I could just release them. But we all know life doesn't go to plan, especially when there's a wedding involved. So I practiced what I preached, took some time out for myself, regained some energy, and I'm back on the mic. Today I have my friend Annie with me and to can be oops to be completely honest half the reason I wanted Annie with me was because it's really hard to get started when you push pause on something and Annie has a great energy. Second of all, Annie has been on the podcast before. She is an actress and writer and I wanted to talk confidence and body image with her. Now, who better to have that conversation with than someone that is constantly in the spotlight? So Annie and I talked about when you get past the giggling, there is serious conversation, but Annie and I talked about the idea of where the self-confidence and body image issues start in life. You know, they're not just something that we're born with. They're definitely developed early on, but how we can identify it, how we can identify what that core memory is and what that story is and how it shows up for us throughout our life. Annie goes on to talk about a little bit about her experience working in LA and in the TV scene. And we also talk about the correlation between poor body image, mental health and lifestyle. So how we're moving, how we're eating. Now, typically when we've got poor body image, there's either binging or restriction that comes with that. And so what the physiological effects are in that. Annie drops a really potent question to ponder at the end of this podcast. So thanks for listening. As always, we love to hear your takeaways. And if you think that this is something that someone needs to hear, feel free to share it. Without further ado, let's get started. One. Oh no. <laughs> oh God. You sip away at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I will. Mel's just dropped a bombshell. Oh, it's taking me a minute to digest. Never to be repeated ever no, again. No, never. <laughs> so as usual, you know, all the good stuff has happened before we hit record. And we contemplated just hitting record, but we didn't. So there were things we desperately needed to catch up on <laughs> from the last. Catch up on slash learn six, about each other. Six hours. <laughs> How are you, Annie? Oh, I've never been better, Mel. <laughs> are you sure? Top of the pops. <laughs> so good. Annie's been binging a podcast called My Therapist Ghosted Me. So I think she's just going to pop it out in an Irish accent, but it is still the same woman sitting at the microphone. <laughs> No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare do that to our Irish listeners. <laughs> Be very offensive. Um, Can we talk about our walking conversation the other day? That you, when we were talking about what were um, we talking about? 
what happens if you fall in love with an Irish uh, uh, Maori man? Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> and said to I have a I have a oh, I have a tendency to want to break into accents most of the time. Anyone that knows you me, you studied language though, didn't you? I did. I studied phonetics. It's yeah. part of your training as an actor. Oh. Um, I loved it. I loved learning phonetics and I love learning accents. Um, but it's not that I learned a New Zealand accent. I just love them. <laughs> and so every now and again, I break into um, a New Zealand accented character. And I may have broken into that accent on our walk the other day. And then I paused and said, Mel, what happens when I meet a beautiful Māori man <laughs> and I can no longer do the accent because then it's, yeah, he can't. I think that... he'll love you just the way you are. You think so? <laughs> you think he'll accept me? Yeah. Still love me? Try. You make me feel <laughs> so small. I'm like, I just want to do accents. I just want to be in love, eh? <laughs> are we wait. not in love? Oh, we are so in love. Always. I told, did I tell you the other day that when we posted the wedding photos and we, <gasps> the best couple comment. Yes. Someone actually asked me if, you know. If we're official. The, yeah. Which, you know what? Official, it means we're officially best friends. Like if you don't get asked if you're in a lesbian relationship with your best friends. You're not. You're not actually you're, best friends. You're nowhere near. Yeah. So. We've made the cut. Yeah. I mean, that's good. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's it. That's all we've got to say. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs> um, I, was, I was flattered and honoured to be at that wedding, but also to um, be questioned as your partner. Same, I think. And you know what? It took me a you while. You think? Excuse no. me? <laughs> okay, this relationship is over. <laughs> I, it took me a while to realise what they were asking. And, I, and it, yeah. It oh, did they, a, how did they ask it? Like it was just like they replied to my Instagram is this, story. Uh, is this your uh, friend? Something like that. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, we are. And she's like, so cute or something. And then it wasn't until like an hour later that I cottoned on to what the conversation was. And so went back in to clarify and she clarified that that was what she was asking. Oh, right. Are you gay? Yeah. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Great. <sighs> yes. Um. Not anymore, anyway. <laughs> Not anymore. Right, okay. Yeah, good. sorry. Oh, good to know. Okay, all right. Well, I guess I've got to move on then. <laughs> Guys, I'm, uh, I'm single and available, apparently. <laughs> As of two seconds ago. Annie likes Linda, Linda on Instagram. Um. <laughs> DM me. So tell me more about why you love this podcast that you're currently binging. Oh God, they're just divine. These two women. Like how <laughs> you can't even like get a better name than that. I, I know. My therapist ghosted me. Immediately curious. Yeah. Like clearly that is coming from real life and they do go into that. They, I think they divulge it in the first episode. I have just binged it because they are just so delightful to listen to. A, because I've got gorgeous accents, but also their friendship is just next level. Like, it's just, you feel like a fly on the wall. Um, they're constantly cracking each other up and completely taking the piss out of each other. And I love it. 
Because that's how we show love, right? We take the piss out of each other. Well, um, I have to admit, when we went for our walk the other day, you and I were both feeling pretty... What, what's the word that we can use to describe? Flat? Pretty hot? No. <laughs> hot girl walk. Um, pretty flat. Uh, pretty flat, yeah. Um, a little emotional. A little emotional. A little tears along the way. <laughs> just sweat. I just um, have a tendency to sweat yeah, it was 12 when degrees I'm walking. Outside yeah, it's 12 degrees outside. My face is sweating. I'm just sweating from my eyeballs. <laughs> Don't mind me. Getting my cardio work <laughs> Um, yes, we were both feeling flat for certain reasons. And um, I remember just, again, I remember getting like two minutes into the walk, doubled over in laughter. <laughs> and I'm like, we are this podcast in real life. What are we talking about? Yeah. No. Well, I think that's why it resonates is because True. it feels like a familiar friendship. True. Um, and also everything they say is Fucking hilarious. But like um, all good things that your best friend recommends, I haven't listened to an episode yet. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I have sent her so many <laughs> links to their episodes. Like, you got to listen to this one. Listen to this one. She hasn't listened to any of it. I'm she dead. doesn't take my TV, <laughs> my TV recommendations, my film recommendations, except for my show. I've Wait, TV have you- re- recommendations. Have you? Um, what are we watching tonight? Bad Sisters. We're watching the final episode. <laughs> um, not that we're being paid to say this, but, you know, Apple TV, Bad Sisters, most amazing show ever. Sharon Hogan, you're my goddess. Um, yes, okay. So you have taken me taken that recommendation. Um, so Annie, my two best friends, Annie and BJ, both massive movie and TV buffs. And I know nothing about the arts world. I know very little about the arts world and anything I do know generally comes from. it really from- shows. <laughs> anything I do know comes from either one of those individuals. And until recently, they hadn't actually met. And so I had this really cool gig going where one of them would give me a recommendation. I would go and watch it or listen to it and then give it to the other one as Mm. if it was my own Mm. recommendation Mm. and they would be really into it until they met like I said recently and all (laughs) of a sudden they they started talking about the recent tv shows that they were watching and how did it end oh just realized there was a little piggy in the middle there (laughs) (laughs) and now she's not required (laughs) it's now my friends now we're friends we've connected no, you need a three third wheel. We need a threesome, do we? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're back to threesomes and good times. That's great. Good times, classic hits. All right. But we're not in a relationship. I see. Mm-hmm. So we're just friends with benefits, I guess. Is there anything wrong with that? No, no. I'm a modern woman. The benefit I can handle being, that. The benefit being my access to your Apple TV. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. And we my are cat. in a relationship. My Apple TV and my pussy. <laughs> To clarify, I have a gorgeous cat that Mel is obsessed with and my cat may be obsessed with her. And I am talking about my cat. An actual furry four-legged <laughs> friend. Albie. Is it wrong that I just pictured a vagina with four legs? <laughs> it's wrong because Albie is so freaking he cute. Is. He's gorgeous. And I think if you were talking like Mr. Balls, my cat was called Mr. Balls. <laughs> And I think that you could just take the piss out of that all day, but 
Albie is just divine. He is divine. He's my man. Ugh. I was just saying to Mel the other day, like, what am I worried about? Not having a man in my life. I have a man in my life. I wish I that get you to, just read the text message out. I get to wake up to him every morning. He just smothers me in kisses. Love that as a start to the day. Um, he knows what he wants. Ah, oh, please. He's a really good communicator. He loves to talk. Um, he likes, you know, he'll let me know how he's feeling. How good is that? In yeah, a but man? he still does like all the typical man stuff, like leaves hair lying around. <laughs> Doesn't do the dishes. <laughs> so, you know, like there's good balance there. Expects me to clean his toilet. <laughs> He's got aim though, right? He's got great aim. Yeah, never outside the bowl. <laughs> So or the is. box. As it like, is. Because we talk about finding the perfect man and you can't take the perfect man without his faults. And so. Right. Mm. You know, he isn't perfect. No. He has a heart condition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not laughing at the fact that he has a heart condition, obviously. Um, it's been quite a dramatic experience, but he's not perfect. Does the heart condition come after he met me? Ooh. Um. <laughs> No, no, that was all me. (laughs) It's all on me. It was horrific. Anyway, so I have a man in my life. That's the the important part of that conversation. It still questions your sexuality, but that's okay. (laughs) All right. So it's Friday afternoon. Annie and I are drinking. This is not sponsored. Isn't it? We're not sponsored. Are they by the same person? Bizarro. They're South Australian. Cans of delight. What are they? Um, (laughs) Cans of delight. (laughs) Um, We have literally just cracked these, by the way. We are not drunk. And they're not, they're not, I think they're not even one standard drink or they're just one standard drink. They're just un petit sip. Um. Yeah, look at that. Brooker Terrace, Richmond, South Australia. I don't know who makes them, but they're uh, damn sexy. Is that supposed to be Australia and Italy together? What do you mean? We're looking at the cans, guys. This is... What do you mean? It's... Oh! The back of the can. Oh, it is! It's... Oh, my God. It's It's an image of Australia with a... Boot. The boot. The Italian boot coming out its vagitza. <laughs> at its vagina? Yeah. Straight out the centre. Maybe it's the third leg that maybe the can is a man. <laughs> oh, dear. It's getting loose. Um, Mel, why am I here? Why am I here? To talk about the can. Oh, the to- okay. All um, right. Annie is here. Oh, so as we met, we sort of brushed over what Annie said there, but Annie has re- recently written a TV show called A Beginner's Guide to Grief. You can watch it on SBS On Demand. It is Or SBS On Demand if you're from South Australia. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into the South Australian quiz later. Um, SBS On Demand, it is a, an hour-long show six small episodes of 10 to 12 minutes yeah and it's a dark comedy 
Now, comedy, dark comedy, people. Don't be afraid to watch it. Now, this isn't a sponsored, but this is a shameless plug that it's Annie has just won, or not won, let's not. (laughs) I have not won anything, guys. (laughs) Annie has been nominated for several awards on the writing of this show. Um, And so I highly recommend. I've been nominated for one. Guys, I've been. I'm your best friend. Let me fabricate this story. Not fabricate. What's the like embellish this story? Um, if that's not an indicator of how this writing, yeah, of how the show goes, so I highly recommend jumping on SBS and checking it out. But so Anna, Annie is Anna or Annie? What are we going by today? Oh no, <laughs> Annie is a writer and an actress, and a theme has been coming up in conversation lately with both. <laughs> My clients, my girlfriends, mm -hmm. and I think it's a conversation that generally comes up amongst, look, I'm going to say women because that's the population that I work with, but I know that every time I say purely women, there's a man Mm -hmm. to comment that it happens within a masculine community as well. Yeah. Um, Around body image, and I'm not talking about body image from, you know, like a body positivity point of view, but I'm talking about body image in terms of being presentable and being in the spotlight and be that even just presenting for work, be that in having a photo shoot, be that being in Annie's case, being on television or going to presentations and things like presentation nights and things like that. So I thought that really after a career in acting in some form of another that Annie would be able to shed some light or even just be able to have a conversation around body image and coming to terms with your body. Hmm. Annie's like, this is not what I signed up for. Definitely did not sign up for this. (laughs) Wow. Okay. God, there's so much to unpack. There's so much to unpack. Because where okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, let's go. Start? Let's go from the beginning. Like, where do we get taught? Uh, let's start as teenage girls. I I think it's even before that. Well, not even. I had girls, but guys as well. Like young boys. When I was in primary school, I was very tall. I was twice as tall as everyone. You still are very tall. Oh shit. Uh, oh golly, I've got to digest that. Um, yeah, I was a lot taller than most people my age, and and boys. I guess that was hard. That was weird for them. Um, <clears throat> I got called dinosaur a lot as a kid, and um, when you're a kid and you're fascinated by everything in the world, being labelled a dinosaur, which is this creature that this prehistoric creature that you have kind of been fascinated by and admire, but also there's <laughs> there's an idea of them being scary and monstrous and vulgar. Um, they're not pretty creatures. Um, that's pretty – that leaves its impact. Yeah. That leaves a mark when you're six years old, seven years old. You know, that really did – that stayed with me. and. And that's that thing, um, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners would understand, there are maybe three formative stories that we 
decide, we hear from the outside world that we then uh, internalize and, and form our identity around, um, you know, these, these events. And for me, that was kind of the beginning of one of those stories, which is I'm a monster. I'm too big. I'm too, I'm larger than life. I'm, I'm, I'm too big for this society, this community. It's so funny though, like even in not to cut you off there, but even in you saying that you're larger than life, like you fucking are. Right. I'm just going to have to sign up for more therapy now. <laughs> no, kidding. But like, I, you know, even hearing you say that, I'm like, you are, because I see the flip side of that. Like, mm. Yeah. You know, this beacon of light. Mm. Um, and so it's not that, well, yeah, there's no negative connotation to that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but when you're <laughs> in your formative years, you don't necessarily, we were not given a space as females to shine. You weren't meant to be larger than life. You were meant to be feminine and petite and delicate. And I was not those things. I don't think anyone is just those things. We're so fucking complex. Every human being. We're not like we've all got the feminine, the masculine. But yeah, that really, it stayed with me. And then it was immediately showing up everywhere in grade one. So I was, what, six years old. Mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to use the dress ups. The school teacher said, took me aside. She knew that was my one happy place. Like I was in fantasy land. I didn't want to be at school. Because you didn't I wanted to them. be in dress ups because I was wanting to be other people. I wanted yeah. to, to live out a gazillion lives. So I was busy playing. And then the teacher said, I'm sorry, you can't play. You can't use the dress ups anymore because you're too big. And she might've meant that you're too tall or like, you know, maybe I was rough. Who knows? But what, how that landed for me, what I heard was, once again, you are, you are huge. You're too big f- to be accepted. You're too big to be beautiful. You're too big to be all the things you think. Whatever you- popped up for you. Yeah. You, yeah. Just have, you know, you're too big for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, it started really early. And I do think unconsciously it shows up for a lot of us that early on. Uh, but then, you know, Jesus, by the time you're at high school, I can't even imagine what it's like now mm. to be constantly bombarded with social media and ideas of what it is to be a female and what what is attractive as a female. Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty brutal unless you've got somebody guiding you yeah. who is actively helping you know who you are and not question who you are and make you the least apologetic for who you are in this world. And I know people that had that experience growing up, you know, they had amazing um, parents or, or adults in their life that helped them understand that their value is not around their waistband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and I think, I think there is certainly – um, a lot of kids that are getting that now, um, but I think there's also an extreme. There's always extremes, like whatever's happening on the light side. There's also the the, the dark yeah. shadow of it that's happening. Um, and I see just so many young girls feeling the pressure to look a certain way according to our new 
quote heroes um, that I find really problematic. Yeah. Because um, hmm. now, now everything is available to us at any age. Um, we have information available to us on every device. Um, we have everything available to us that can help us edit a version of ourselves and present a version of ourselves to the world that is acceptable. Um, and so it's just a slippery slope from there. And if that is kind of what you're set up to, to incorporate into your life as a teenager, what happens? Like, of course they're going to be looking to get fillers in their twenties and doing. Oh my god! Don't like it's it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't understand our beauty. We don't get it until until it starts to change. Until our idea of beauty starts to change within us. Yeah. Um, which kind of happens later on. It's so. Oh man, there's so many hilariously absurd juxtapositions in life (laughs) Um, that we only really appreciate how gorgeous we are as human beings and how delicious we are when we've when you're old old enough to go oh that was my youth yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's really it's really confronting I would love to meet a woman that looks back and go and tell and reaffirm that she knew who she was in her 20s and I like what I mean by that is I know that almost every one of my friends looks back at photos of them and you know if they could tell themselves something it would be you are perfect just the way you are yeah um I would love to meet a woman that just knew that yeah Mm. she's out there if you're listening if you're listening I would love to know yeah yeah um I have two questions in two areas that I want to go to, but mm. I think one <laughs> could be kind of off topic. Um, I don't know if, sorry, I just, I don't know if that was helpful at all in terms yeah. of like where I, where I've come from. But yeah. It, so I think, well, I think the message out of that is try to under, like when it, if you are struggling with body image or embracing yourself, the vision of yourself from another lens What's that story? What's the base story? What's the base story? Can you pick where where that idea has come from that mm. you're too dark, too light, too big, too small, whatever yeah. the words are, can you pick that base story? Mm. And so from there then, you know, you're someone who has, like I said, you have lit- your career has been on stage or performing in front of a camera or something like that Mm. how do you take that too big to wanting to be not even wanting to be but having to be in front of the camera I'm going to be completely honest and transparent and say I think that's constantly changing for me Mm -hmm. and there is a part of me that wants to be the woman that can say confidently I've worked it out because I want other people to hear that. I'm like perfect I, the way I am. <laughs> no, no. I as am in, that person. Not, not perfect, yeah. but like I want to be able to say all the right things for yep. other women to hear it because that's when we suddenly feel like we have permission is when we have other people who are, who've got it, <laughs> who found like that happy place. It's constantly changing for me and you've met, like we've met at a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. And you have influenced that hugely in terms of how I now see 
myself when I have to step into those roles on screen. But if I'm really honest, it has not been healthy ever until until the last, you know, 12 months mm-hmm. um, where I made a conscious choice and committed to that and that was a com- commitment I shared and made with you. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to that. Okay, we had a quick technical issue, but Annie, you're back on the mic. I'm back. I'm back, baby. Um, <laughs> so prior to that, in all honesty, very unhealthy approach and belief system around what I needed to be to be working as an actor. And, uh, you know, that was consistent from my 20, like, you know, from my teenage years of doing theatre and then training, um, I felt like I was never um, compact enough, never containable enough, never small enough, uh, skinny enough, pretty enough. And so when I, when you, when you're acting, you're constant. A part of your job is to audition. You're just like unzipping yourself constantly, letting the whole, you know, that community see your insides on a regular basis going here. This is, this is me. What do you think? And you're either a yes or a no. And there's sometimes that you're, you're the yes. And that's really exciting. When you're a no, then it's just so easy to go, why was I the no? And you, for me, it was just always defaulting to I'm not attractive enough. I'm not, I'm, I'm just not skinny. Like for me, the, the, it was always defaulting to I'm, I'm not skinny enough and I haven't worked hard enough. As in I was working hard as, a, as an actor in terms of my skill base, but it just felt like, no matter how much I starved myself, no matter how much I worked out, I was never enough for what they, what they needed, what they were looking for, this elusive idea of what they're looking for. And it was so disempowering. And that's like, yeah, that was all through my 20s. And in my 30s, it's like it's just it's there. It's, all, it's always there. It's been so uh, engraved. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm aware of it now. So there's so there's a big shift, but it it has been problematic beyond belief because what it means is that you end up anytime you get the opportunity to um to step into these incredible roles who, that you've worked really hard for, uh, for the opportunity to tell these stories. Um you're really excited about it. This is what you live for. And then you spend the next few months starving yourself. So you're in like the height of joy doing the thing that you love most. And at the same time, you're depleting yourself of joy and, and nourishment. It's so contradictory. And it means that by the time you then, so you're working your butt off, and then you do a theatre performance for a month or two. Or longer if you're tr- if you're touring it, and then it's about maintaining what you've created, 
which means starving yourself for however long, and then you get to the end of the run or not even the end of the season and you're exhausted and you're burnt out and you're paranoid because your brain's not getting the fuel that it needs. Um, you're so concerned about how you look that that's all you're thinking about when you're tired and run down. That's what's driving the story. So the paranoia just shot through the roof for me. And more often than not, I would get through um, a theatre run or doing a spot in TV or film and I would fall apart. And it was, it took me a long time to see that that was a very <laughs> distinct pattern mm -hmm. and a really unhealthy one. Mm -hmm. And there's no, um, uh, what's the word? Um, I don't see that there's any coincidence that when I was at the height of like things, things were shooting on such a trajectory in LA when I was there, things were feeling amazing. And like, I was, I felt like I was on a treadmill and somebody just kept pushing the button and it kept getting faster. And I was like, just keep up, just keep up. Like you're doing good. You're doing good. You're getting all the auditions you're getting here. Like you're working at Fox, you're doing all these things, you know, like it was all very exciting and I'm auditioning for lead roles in comedy series. This is, this is exactly what I dreamt of doing. And, um, and then I was up for this role, um, in a NBC comedy series and they gave me the, the you know, the rundown, they're like, it's between you and another actor. This is what you're going to be earning per episode. And when I heard that, I'd never heard a sum of money like that before. Certainly in Australia, nothing you don't hear, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I was just the relief that I felt of, oh, my God, I'm finally able, I'm finally, like, able to balance out. Like, I can pay off my debts. I can, in one episode, I'm going to be, I'm going to have made it, <laughs> which yeah, is yeah. such an illusion, of course, but just that feeling of like, oh, I've made the cut finally. And knowing that I could then, I would be legally allowed to stay, like I'd be able to, um, you know, potentially get citizenship in America and do what I wanted to do, what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and not be a burden to my family, you know, like I was, I'd made it. So these are all points for you starving yourself, essentially. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All the reasons why it was important that I had to keep starving myself and was being told that every two days, um, while I was there, like in that, in the years that I was in LA, it was every 48 hours without fail, someone on my team, um, would very lovingly say to me, you're doing so well, like you are, you're nailing everything. We just need you to tone up a bit more or we just need you to lose a little more weight. And these are the people that you're trusting. And this, so when you hear that, you feel like you're letting them down. Um, and I really did. I took that very much to heart. And so I would try harder to eat less <laughs> and exercise more. And then, <clears throat> and like you said, I'm a tall person. I was about 10 kilos lighter than I am now. And I, I just cannot imagine that. <laughs> and do you know what? Like to this day, I don't even 
I don't even recall seeing a difference. Like I still, I, I looked in my mirror, in the mirror and I saw the same thing I see that's, now. That's a, that's a point to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it didn't matter how much weight I lost. I was still just on this treadmill of it's not enough. Mm-hmm. And so when I got, when I was then shortlisted for this uh, comedy series, I was due to come home for my best friend's wedding and um, and I knew that the, I was going to find out within like 48 hours whether I had this gig or not and they said it's pretty much in the bag, you've got it. But if I was going to Australia, I was only going to be there for a week so I left everything in my apartment. I just packed my essentials and was waiting at the airport and my uh, my manager called me and said, okay, the the news is that you can get on the plane. You didn't get the gig. And I promised you I would always tell you exactly the feedback that they give us. And the feedback was there were people in the room fighting for you. Um, you did an incredible job. You couldn't have done anything differently. You nailed the comedy. You nailed the character. If you if they could have asked you to change one thing, it would be that you were twenty pounds lighter. If you had been twenty pounds lighter, so you another would have, ten kilos. Yeah, I don't know what pounds are. <laughs> I don't know what the conversion is. Sorry, um, but it wasn't enough, and so that's what I heard. You're not enough. There you go again. You're not enough. And for that to be the deciding factor between being employed and not was devastating when I was that close and I was so ashamed. I The first thing I did was laugh hysterically like, oh, my God, welcome to Hollywood. Like this is this is the real deal. This is what this is what everyone always told me about. Well, do you know what I'm about. hearing? Like because I know this TV show that you're talking about and mm. it's one of my favourite TV shows. Mm. I'm now seeing it differently. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, and so I left the country on that note mm, and I came back to put on a dress for a wedding that I was in the bridal party of and these are my some of my favourite human beings on the planet and I stood there that whole day and I was just – so ashamed. I wasn't present at all. I was so ashamed and terrified of the way that I looked. And it ruined, like, I, that breaks my heart now. I look back at those photos. I can't, I can barely look at them because these are my favorite people celebrating the thing that we all want in life, love. And I couldn't be present to it because I was so terrified of how I looked. That is that's devastating. Um, and you know, we were just talking about this the other day, like in terms of weddings, how women, like we've just been taught that for whatever reason, this has to be the day you look the best in your life and God help you if you haven't lost 10 kilos. It is devastating. That is the day. My mum just got married and yes, she did. She She looked gorgeous. Um, so radiant. I'm never going to be able to get married because I'll never be able to beat that. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think you're going to do just fine, honey. Like, and I remember having this conversation with her 
you know, my mum had this beautiful dress made and bought these beautiful shoes and yeah, she was concerned about her weight. And I'm like, was she? Yeah. Did I tell you this? No. Yeah. Oh. And like my mum is in her sixties and she does not look it. She's no. A beautiful human being inside and out. Just and, beaming joy. Oh, just pure light. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in a woman in her 60s worried about not ruining the photos, I think were her words. Oh. Because she was bigger than Bigger than, bigger than what? what? I don't even know. But yeah, bigger than her her view of society would allow. And I, like, I mean, I shared the photos to my Instagram, like everyone has seen the photos and just literally called my mom a beaming joy. Yeah. And yeah, we're not looking at these photos going, she, yeah, you're right. She could have lost 10 kilos. Yeah, you're right. She also is a bit much. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, if you're, it's a good point. Maybe when you're uh, writing your guest list, you know. If you're concerned, if you're genuinely concerned that the people that are coming to your wedding are going to be judging you on how you look. <laughs> well, let's look at the other way though, right? You know, I mean. Or is it just the photos thing? What's well, it, the permanent? It's the permanency, the permanency of, of a the photo. photos. Yeah. And I mean, you can speak on that again on behalf of. Yeah. Um, oh, God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the per- permanency of things. Um. I know like the probably the biggest the biggest time for me dieting was going into my 30s, 30th, because I just knew that I didn't want to look at photos and hate myself. Wow. Um like even that as a 29-year-old, knowing mm. that all I could, to enjoy my 30th I had to diet. Mm, God. Yep. What world are we living in? Sorry, something I've just had like a little <laughs> bombshell moment. Oh my god, do share. I wonder if that's why I never had an 18th or 21st or a 30th. You tell me. Wait, you have birthdays? <laughs> <laughs> Is this a part of why I don't want to celebrate things? Like I'm afraid I want to celebrate, but I don't want <laughs> don't want to celebrate. I, I find it tricky to have a birthday celebration. Is that because of photos? I don't know. All right. Anyway, I'm just going to have a little ponder. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Um, but yes, so yeah, back to the, like the wedding thing, you know, that was a really special day and I was not present because of this idea that I was obsessed with, um, that was taking over my life and I had a breakdown. Like, I think it was, we got through the wedding. Um, it's probably about, I reckon it was not even a week later. I was in hospital having a full-blown breakdown. Um, I found out that the other role that I was in the running for no longer existed, as in the, in the space in that week that I'd been away, the writing team had re- restructured a story. Erased you. And erased that character that I was um, in the running for. But once again, I personalized that. I was like, see, they've just, they've erased you because you're, you're not enough. 
Um, or you. you so know. there's all this evidence in your mind mm-hmm. that, yeah, you're not enough. Yeah. yeah. Or I'm too much. Yeah. Whether that's like physically or in personality. These are the things. And I'm, I'm being completely honest about this because I think it's really important just to own it. And, As a reflection and point. To, yeah. help, to help other people maybe identify what it is for them that mm-hmm. runs that, what's that core story or belief that you default to when you're under stress or when things don't yeah, when things aren't working for you or you're rejected in some way or form that's not necessarily in relationships or but maybe in work or whatever whatever context when something goes wrong is there a story that you default to um like an idea of who you are that is why that situation hasn't worked out. Um, so for me, that was that was big, and um, and I kind of felt like I just, you know, it was it was a full blown breakdown at that point, and I had been starving myself for like three years <laughs> at that point. So no wonder I needed a little time out. Lovely how the body and the mind present opportunities in really strange ways for you but isn't to it amazing like that your body like our bodies are f- phenomenal like they will shut down they will say hey i'm not gonna keep years, though i'm not gonna keep doing this if you're gonna keep doing this to me yeah. i can't keep going so guess what you're gonna end up in a hospital bed that's what happened and then there was like a whole new story uh, that I decided about myself, which was about mental health. Like that was kind of a key moment in my mental health journey where I was like, oh, great. Now not only am I not enough <laughs> in terms of my physical presentation, I'm now a nutter. Like, you know, which of course is not. <laughs> which we um, can confirm, but in a completely lovable <laughs> sense again. Um, that, yeah, that. I suddenly had this this additional thing um, that I needed to cover up yeah. or um, keep as a secret, which was I've been hospitalised for, you know, burnout, for depression, for anxiety um, and the shame that I felt around that. And, you know, being from a country area with very loving parents that um, – have grown up in a certain kind of a style of culture that does not speak about mental health. Um, It was really hard for all of us. You know, they wanted to be supportive, but it was really challenging to have to start talking about mental health and these ideas of, you know, words like depression, stress, anxiety. We use the word stress so much in our daily lives and in society mm-hmm. that it's just like, oh yeah, we're just, I'm, I'm just stressed. And it's like, oh, actually stress can literally make your body stop working. Um, it can stop your heart. You know, it's, it's not a laughing matter. We just use it very flippantly. Um, but so are was- you then linking mental health and body image? Oh yeah. Yeah. Huge for me. Yes, absolutely. I think um if I had had a really solid 
uh, and healthy body image. If I was, if I had somehow magically <laughs> grown up going, I don't fucking care what you think. Like I know what I'm capable of. I'm, this is my body. My body's my engine. So you, you don't get to tell me. <laughs> you don't get to tell me whether it's good enough or not. Like it's making me do the things that I want to do in life, and I'm doing them well. Yeah. Um. If I had had that outlook. I don't think there would have been a chance that I ended up having those kind of um, extreme problems with anxiety and depression because that the depression and anxiety, once again, the identifying driver for me is I'm not enough, mm-hmm. not good enough. Um, you know, you need to you need to work harder. You you're not putting in the yards or something along those lines. So they're absolutely linked for me. Um, but also there's the, the, uh, the physiology, like the, the physical side of it. Um, when you then learn that like <laughs> magically, like what you put in your body, the food <laughs> that y- you consume is your fuel. Like it is literally fueling not only your physical being, it's fueling your creation of the chemicals that you need to be a functioning human. Mm. For your brain to send you the messages it needs to send you, to to make you feel calm, to make you to give you a sense of groundedness. This all comes from the chemicals in our brain. Like we need this. Um, to function and I didn't understand that I completely didn't appreciate that I knew concepts around it but you just it's not don't. spoken about it um not, yeah and it's so fascinating to me now to realize like oh well, do, <laughs> do I want to feel good yeah I want to feel good uh yeah so what have you have I eaten today maybe I haven't mm. maybe that's the <laughs> maybe that's the solution but just that just that direct connection between the gut. Oh, when I learned about the gut and serotonin um, connection, it blew my brain. Like it just made so much sense as to why if you're starving yourself or not getting the nourishment you need because there's a, you know, you're um, terrified of that, um, terrified of putting on weight, whatever it is. If you're not getting, you're not getting the, you, your beautiful belly's not doing what it needs to do to get the messages yeah. <laughs> to create the serotonin to make you feel good so that you keep doing the good things. It's, um, yeah. So that's been a big learning <laughs> curve yeah. for me. Um, but it didn't stop there. So I went, I, I had a break from acting. Um... I went back into it. I had a really great run with theatre when I came. So, oh, yeah, so I left out the bit where <laughs> I, I forgot to go back to L.A. Um, I'd had a breakdown, lost my management. I lost all of that connection to L.A. and I felt like a failure. I felt like that was it. I got my chance and I missed it. I blew it. All because of 10 pounds. Because of 10, 10 pounds, 20 pounds. I think it was 20 pounds. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Side note, when one of my other team members, someone that was kind of managing me on the sidelines, found out that I didn't get the gig 
because of those 20 pounds. Her response quite like genuinely and lovingly said, she's like, if I had known that, we could have, we could have sorted that out for you. Meaning, and I, I, I was like, what? In two, because they were filming in two weeks' time. What do you mean? How do you? And she's like, I could have got you the drugs. And to realize that being part of someone's team at that time, I don't know, I'm not saying it's like that anymore, but at that time to be in LA um, with your the people that you trust the most and part of their job is to find you the drugs that will make you lose the weight in time for the show. That that was devastating as well. That that broke my heart when I realized that that was that's the solution. It's always look, you know, lose more weight. Mm. Um and we have the drugs to make that happen. We can magically make it happen. So she wasn't saying like fuck them. If you're yeah. if they're not happy with you the weight you are, fuck them. Don't worry about it. That's what I was wanting to hear. Yeah. But no, I was having it reinforced again by the people that I trusted that, well, you know, we can we can arrange that for you. So You were having it reinforced that so that was a perfectly liable excuse for them not to give you the job that, you know, mm. the 20 pounds oh, yeah. was. Yeah. 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 So um yeah, so anyway, lost my connections to LA, was so embarrassed. I, was, I felt so much shame around losing that major gig because of my weight. I just didn't have it in me to go get back on the plane. I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And I don't even know what happened to the stuff in my apartment. Probably my little paper CVs with my headshot on them are like... <laughs> around in like garbage bins somewhere um who are you living with did someone go and pack I was, up? did you have any valuables valuable schmalleable like it was probably the stuff that i thought was valuable yeah. at the time is um um anyway um <laughs> i'm also giggling to myself because i definitely left a vibrator in that <laughs> um, anyway um so i i never went back and and then my dad was diagnosed soon after that. And then obviously we've talked about that before, but that started a whole new journey. At that same time, I started getting um, a really good run of theatre work in Australia. So I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe screen is not for me. Maybe I'm meant to be just sticking to the theatre world. And I love, I love doing theatre. And same old stories would show up. So I'd get a gig immediately, right, I've got the gig. How much weight, how much time have I got? How much weight do I have to lose? And it started again, back on the hamster wheel. And um, add a few other little unhealthy elements to those experiences, like, you know, a little bit of sexual harassment in the workplace. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. So I got through those shows, did some touring and pulled out of theatre. Like I I didn't know how to keep functioning and it felt like everything was showing me that that is not, that's not, you know, you're not cut out for this. So I had a huge break from it and then I just threw myself into looking after dad 
And then, fast forward quite a few years, writing a TV show, suddenly have this opportunity to make a TV show for the first time that I then find out the producers are like, you've, you're the star of this. This is your story. You're, you're playing the lead. Um, is that when we met? Yeah, that's when we met. <laughs> so then I had been working with um, someone in the Pilates realm who I trusted who, and I said, I need to start working with a trainer. And, um, and she had recommended Mel to me. And so that's, so Mel and I met at that point and it was a really terrifying and defining time for me because I was back in my favorite realm, storytelling, but I also knew that I knew what was ahead, which was that I was going to be on screen and that was going to be permanent. And I had two choices. I could do what I always done knowing that at the end of that would be a huge period of burnout and potential like mental health <laughs> I was gonna say diarrhea I don't know why but like just a shitstorm uh waiting to happen or I could choose something different I could choose a different approach and I could also choose I remember having that conversation with you to make a yeah to yeah. make a commitment as to what it was that I wish I had seen as a young woman, a young girl on screen. What where had my ideas come from? They'd come from watching years of women on screen being petite and perfect, fit like you know just this very cookie cutter idea of what a woman should be. And I realized that that if I want to be a part of the change in this industry and not just in, in my industry, but this is the way I get to have a say, if I'm going to be a part of the change, then I need to represent that. And that meant choosing not to lose a shitload of weight in preparation for my show um, and be real, show up and be myself as any, uh, you know, if anyone that's seen the show, they know there's like clearly I'm not wearing, like there's not a lot of makeup going on or anything. It's raw from beginning to end. Um, and I chose that because I wanted to be real. I wanted to be real about storytelling. And I want other women to be able to watch it and go, ah, oh, that's a real woman mm -hmm. on screen. Um, but as we you also know, have a conversation around changing the industry and you yes. know, what's the, if you're now going in as a writer and a director and all of these, th an actress and all of these things, yeah. like how do you want to leave the industry differently? Yeah. I want better than you left it. Yeah. yeah. Better than you found it. Sorry. Yeah. And it's, you know, we lead by example. So when we create an environment that is delicious to work in, everyone that gets to be a part of that environment then goes off onto the next gig. They do, they do another job and they either um, put into practice what, what they've experienced 
on the last set or if they don't have the confidence to do that, they might just see a real uh, a stark difference as to how things are done because um, there's a, there's still like a very set way as to how film sets and TV um, runs um, and it can be really, it can be a very unhealthy environment as with many industries, um, but there are people that are consciously choosing to do it differently. And, you know, dare dare I say, making an environment where it's enjoyable to show up. God forbid. God forbid. God forbid you have fun and experience joy while you're storytelling. Because this is like the whole point is that we make shows that people get to watch so that they get to experience something different from their own life for one hour of their life. You know, they get to be someone else. They get to go somewhere else or they get to feel a connection to someone else. And if only they knew, if only audiences knew, like if they knew what really goes on, I mean that it would, it would break people's hearts, but it doesn't have to be that way. Yes, it's a very, it's always going to, it is a, it's a high pressure situation when you're making a show, but there are really, really simple ways of making a workplace a healthy environment to be in and a respectful environment. Imagine showing up to work or driving to work and going like, I'm so excited to be here today because I know that I'm valued. I don't think, I think you can just remove work. Imagine just showing up in your own life (gasps) and going, I know I'm here because I'm valued. I know I'm here because I'm loved. I know I'm here because I provide an energy to my network that, yeah, serves a purpose. I'm meant to be here. Yeah. Regardless of what the scales say, regardless of what Mm. the clothing size says. Yeah. And then I think it's also worth mentioning just once again on that level of transparency so that I'm not giving the idea that it was all suddenly magically fixed. You will remember that as we got closer to, so that, and one of the reasons that I was working with you was because I wanted to be able to survive this period on very little, you know, when I knew that I'd be getting very little sleep. Well, what first, like one of the conversations that we had, you were like, yeah, I'm filming this show. We've got this going on. And I'm like, cool. How do you want to feel at the other end? Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's all well and good to lose the weight, diet, all of the stuff for the show. But like you've just said that typically at the end you crash and burn. So yeah. what's, what's different? How do you want to walk out of this? Yeah. I want to, you know, I wanted to walk out and feel actually feel connected to what I just made. So one of the things was presence. How can I stay present throughout that process? And, and part of that was to have strength and, uh, you know, like endurance Um, because tiredness plays such a, an exhaustion is such a huge factor in the way that we feel um, in any situation. And it doesn't take long before when we're exhausted, that's when the negative stories start rushing in um but I wanted to come out the other side and feel proud um and like I didn't need to have a breakdown (laughs) um so so then I don't think I've asked you how did you feel at the end of filming 
Well, there were a lot of tears, but not in the same way that I'd shed tears in the past. Sorry, I was just picturing myself walking down the road after the last crew van had left and walking, yeah, walking away from the house that we'd filmed in and just that moment of, oh, my God, we just made a thing. Like that's just happened and that was such like I've never experienced that before where I've created a thing and it's come to fruition with all of these amazing moving parts, all these incredible people contributing in every department. Everyone was amazing in their role. And so you're on a high the whole time. And then for that to suddenly like in the space of a two-hour pack-up, boom, everyone's gone. Mm. People are getting ready for Christmas. People are going on to the next film set. You just got and you're on your own. And it was silence. And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this feeling. I don't know what this is. Um, so it was a lot of feelings at once. And yes, there's no denying there was certainly exhaustion and and still a burnout of sorts. Um, but no, nothing like what I'd experienced before wasn't like I wanted to drive myself to the nearest hospital and say, Hey, I need to yeah. <laughs> give me a little room to myself. Which is normal. Um, like again, I'm not, you know, I've just run my mom's wedding and I was yeah. completely yeah. flattened after it. Honey, like, I was flattened <laughs> after your mom's wedding and I wasn't doing what, <laughs> what you, you were know, doing. So you had this, like, what was it? Three years in the making, this TV yeah. show. Mm. I think exhaustion is. It's on the cards. It's on the cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the just what was amazing was that I could show up every day and even when I was tired and I was feeling like I would look in the mirror and be like, holy shit, this is going to be recorded. These eye bags going to be on screen forever. The eye bags um, Sausage hole. Mm-hmm, sausage hole. <laughs> Lots of sausages. Um, you know, that's that's there on camera. That's recorded. Um, but but again, just returning, okay. returning to what the mission was behind it um, and how important it was for me to be real as a woman on screen. Um, and I carried that through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, like I'm not wearing a lot in a couple of the scenes. And that was really confronting. I was like, just fucking do it. If you want to set a standard, just fucking do it. Just show up. <laughs> Are you trying to think of the scenes or Yeah. What? Me and the, when I'm sunbathing. You've got a big jacket on. I've got a coat. I'm- you see nothing. Bullshit. As your lesbian lover, I can confirm. <laughs> you- Honey, there is Honey. a camera. At my feet, You're like up feet. my thighs. That is the worst. I mean, but see this. I mean, this is part of it, right? I'm a viewer watching this TV show, and literally all I see is your jacket. But you, oh, as all st- I saw was my thighs. Yeah, you're like this. Is like yeah, thighs, cameras on thighs, my thighs, thighs, and I'm in a bikini, like and rolls, again, rolls in my belly. Yep, all like that's that flip of perspective that what you think we're focused on and looking it's mm. also a hilarious scene where she's drinking goon hanging on a um drip yeah bat a drip hook 
you know, there's so much going on in this scene. And yet in Annie's head, she's like, fuck, my thighs are on screen right now. My thighs are huge. Yeah. Huge, humongous. I couldn't see anything else Mm. on the screen. (laughs) Yeah. Like you're going to have to move the camera a little to the (laughs) left because all we're getting is thigh. Um, that's what I was worried about. Like, you know, that's where that's my brain. Right. And I yeah. think that's where we come down to the woman, our womanly mind going, even though you could identify that there were all these moving parts, you were creating art mm. and there's still this voice going, ah, babe, your thighs are on screen right now. Yeah. Yeah. Your thighs are on fire and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it was to be able to, you know, show up for all those moments and not have a meltdown and just be like, you've made a commitment. You don't know how anyone's going to perceive this. You don't know how this show's going to land for anybody. But if it makes one. Well, can I flip that? Can I? Oh, I'm going to put you on the spot here with this question. Okay. Um, So the TV show is Annie's story, Annie's take on the path passing of a family member yeah her dad you know in that process when you were being the caretaker for your dad the primary caregiver for your dad Mm -hmm. were you thinking about your body image in those moments oh in real life in real life (laughs) i did not have a i didn't even have time to think about showering i also you're just so removed from the rest of the world when you're a when you're caregiving to that level, when you are in palliative care, when you're at that stage, honestly, the rest of the world falls away. But that's real, right? That's it's so, and that's what, well, that's what changed my life was yeah. the, was the realization. Oh my God, all this stuff that I worry about all the time, all the time, every fucking day of my life, none of that matters because everyone's got, but you look around and you know that really this is going through everyone's heads mm. as they're running around the supermarket, trying to find a park, walking down the street, sitting at a cafe, they're at work, doing their retail job. Everyone's just like stuck in their own head going, oh, my God, I need to do this. I need to be this. I need to do this. I need to. None of it matters. <laughs> um, that's why it's so extraordinary at the time. But also not necessarily healthy because once again that was a different kind of burnout in the end um I mean my hair fell out just it just fell off my head after dad died (laughs) I suddenly had this very I was just looking at the photos last week it's like wow my hair just suddenly got very short I was like oh that's right that's because your hair just fell out just you know you're just so under undernourished because you just Everything is about this one human being around the clock. Um, But no, I was absolutely not thinking about the size of my thighs. Yeah. But you know what? Full transparency again. Funeral comes around a couple weeks later. Terrified of how I would look in a dress. Yeah. At a fucking funeral. At your own parents' funeral. I was so worried about how I looked at that point I was like you yeah you haven't so it doesn't that doesn't, doesn't stop leave you for it doesn't long. yeah yeah well so then in you know we're gonna start wrapping this up because we're gonna have another two hour episode on our hands otherwise um 
you know, we've just, you know, I've just given an example of my mum in her 60s who, mm. um, you know, questions the authenticity and the beauty of her wedding photos. Annie is in her, am I allowed to say your age? <laughs> no. <laughs> Annie, you know, Annie and I are in different age brackets and we're questioning. I'm sure there are women below our age brackets questioning like how do we like how do we change the dialogue to I put this to my her advantage group today you know Mm -hmm. it's not body positivity I think body positivity is when I honestly when I think of body positivity I think of walking into a clothing store and you know when the sales lady's like oh my god that looks amazing on you (laughs) and you just want to die inside Mm. So how do we change the dialogue to I love my body to a neutral I accept my body? (sighs) How do we change that dialogue? I think through education, Mm -hmm. I think that's key. Like that's been key for me is like actually understanding on a physiological level what my body does because without it I don't exist your storytelling doesn't exist nothing exists if I don't have it and it terrifies me and I think this year has been a huge huge reminder of that I've lost so many people this year they don't get to keep doing their thing they're gone their body went no more it's terrifying (laughs) Um, whatever, yeah, I I just think that really getting an understanding of what are we losing by hating our body? Oh, we're losing. We're just pondering that question for yourself. Like, what are we losing by feeling like, yeah, we're not enough. What are we losing by affirming that core belief that we have? Yeah. What, um. I mean, it's so consuming. It's so time consuming. It's so energy consuming. And your energy is precious. Your energy is all that you have. Mm. So what could that energy be doing if it wasn't fixated on that one illusion? Yeah. Oof. You know? What, what could your energy be doing if it wasn't fixated on that illusion? Mm. I think we're gonna leave it there. <laughs> I think we, I think we're gonna leave that question with you. Mm-hmm. You being the listener. Yeah. Cool. You have anything else to add? Please watch my show. No kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Annie's um, TV show, A Beginner's Guide to Grief. SBS on demand. Demand. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Pop quiz. So. What in South Australia, what is it called? The things that carry the um, electricity posts outside. Stobie poles. What the fuck is a Stobie pole? Stobie pole. A Stobie pole is the thing that carries the electric wires that you're looking at through your window right now. Only in South Australia. Stobie. Good old Mr. Stobie who invented the pole. So, of course, it's called a Stobie pole. Come on, rest of the world. If I need you, can you just... Get your phone out and check the bomb app. What am I asking you to check? What? 
What do you mean? The Bureau of Meteorology. Yeah, what, what's that telling you? The weather. The weather. <laughs> <laughs> South Australians have such a weird way of saying weather. What do you The weather? What the is weather? Um, okay, you have it's a holiday. It's turned into a tease fest. It has. You have a holiday house by the river or yeah. by the beach. What's it it's called? Not a, it's not a house. What is it? It's a shack. Shack, mate. Just go into the shack. Yeah, because it's a shack. Okay, but be it's honest. Not- most of the time in South Australia, they have developed a little further from shacks. McMansions. McMansions. Yeah. McMac- McShacks. McShacks. <laughs> no, Mc- they are McMansions. I, not all of them. I'm not interested in a McMansion. I like a good old-fashioned shack. Yeah. You know, it's like a fisherman's shack. It's usually made of bits and bobs. The walls might fall down soon. That's a shack. It is a shack. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that don't was they purely call, in New Zealand. Don't they call them batches? I don't know. Perhaps oh. I haven't been to New Zealand. Well, my future New Kiwi. Zealand man, if you want to, Tucker. <laughs> what? <laughs> um. All right. Before I tease Annie any further, we're going to wrap it up. And I'm sure she will reappear. So, yes, watch Annie's show on SBS On Demand. Demand. <laughs> Demand. Called The Beginner's Guide to Grief. And You don't need to experience grief to watch it, by the way. It's not like – it's not a prerequisite. It's dark comedy. It's to make you laugh. I challenge you to find an adult that hasn't experienced grief in their life. Are you serious? Yeah, There's so many people that will not admit that they've... That's different. Mm. Experiencing and not admitting is different. Yeah. But I think some people are like, oh, I haven't lost a parent. I haven't lost True. someone close to me. I don't know what that's like. True. Um, but I'm telling you, this show is not just for people that have lost someone. It will resonate on many levels. Yeah. True. And on that note, we bid you adieu. Au revoir. <laughs>